Listeners like you keep the Historian's Podcast on the internet with donations. Link to our GoFundMe campaign on our website, bobcudmore.com. Also, find out there how to donate by mail. This is Norm Bolin from the Fort Plain Museum, and we are glad to talk to you today about all the uh, projects that the museum is undertaking. We're talking with uh, Norm Bolin on the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. The museum may be growing soon? Uh, yes, you know, uh, of course, Bob, you've worked with us over the years as we've uh, done our conferences and uh, we, you know, we launched our online bookstore and and we have a lot of projects that, uh, uh, you know, such as our historic marker project. We've got a dozen historic markers out in the area work, working through our Mohawk Country program. Uh, and it's all been a big success, and uh, it's really given us a good national outreach. So we decided uh, it was time to take a next step and uh, work on an expansion uh, of the museum and uh, better interpretation on the hilltop. Going to be a big, big project, a big undertaking, but uh, we're fortunate that we've been able to uh, hire Saratoga Associates, which is a well-known planner in our area, the to uh, help put the the whole master expansion plan together, and we expect to have that done uh, pretty soon here now, in the, probably the next few weeks, and then then we start with in earnest with the uh, fundraising, which uh, looks like it's going to be probably around an eight million dollar project. Boy, eight million dollars! Hey. Let me back up a little bit and ask you, you know, for a thumbnail sketch of the significance of the Fort Plain Museum. Why are you doing all this uh, work in Fort Plain? Of course, the museum was founded in 1961. Uh, it was about you know, the, the story of Revolutionary War Fort Plain and uh, was a significant story uh, in the Mohawk Valley, for part of the defense uh, of the Mohawk Valley during the American Revolution. So, you know, uh, the museum, uh, as I said, it started back then. Uh, they done work over the years, archaeology on the site, and so on. But, you know, it's only in the last uh, 12 years or so that we've uh, we've been really getting back to that story and organizing it so that you know, we can uh, uh, do the uh, expansion that we're planning and get that story out there. It's, uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, when we when we tell it right, we, we get a lot of interest, and actually we see visitors from all over the country stop all the time. We just want to see a lot more of them. And in fact, you've made the partnerships with uh, other historic sites. I'm referring maybe to the folks at Colonial Williamsburg. Haven't uh, you gone down there to find out how they do things and so forth? Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's, of course, uh, one of he's one of our board members now, Dr. Bruce Venter. He he runs a conference at Colonial Williamsburg every year, and, and he does bus tours, and that's how we first met him. He was brought a bus tour through the, the Mohawk Valley. So we, uh, I think I've gone down there the last seven years now for his conference, and uh, and that's introduced us to a lot of authors, uh, uh, historians that uh, that have produced works uh, that uh, we've gotten to be good friends with, and uh, we learn a lot from each other. And uh, so it's it's been a good partnership with all of these people. 
And then, of course, there's historic sites themselves like Colonial Williamsburg and some of the other sites that, that we visit. And we're not ashamed to f- steal a few ideas here and there, looking for the things that work and, p- and how to present materials in an exciting manner, you know, that it's going to engage the public interest. And it seems that there's a, a core of uh, interested individuals who started working on uh, the Fort Plain Museum. Can you? You're one of them, obviously. And can you talk about uh, some of them? Well, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I mentioned Dr. Vetter. You know, he's uh, he's actually uh, um, has a summer home in Lake George, so he spends time up here in the summertime, and he and uh, very interested uh, uh, in history. So he's been great about working with us. James Kirby Martin, you know, who you've interviewed before. He's written a number of books and worked with the Oneida tribes, and he's on our board also and, and uh, uh, very interested. Of course, if you go back to the beginning, there were early years. Now, Wayne Lennock has been involved with the museum for, forever, and Wayne uh, has done uh, spent his life doing research on the Mohawk Valley colonial history and Native American history, uh, and he's worked on done a lot of the uh, archaeological work at the museum that he that he's done over the years uh, you know and then of course you know brian mack very well brian he, he's our treasurer he's the guy our voice on the internet and and being younger than us he, he's really good about handling all the communication stuff that we're not always as good about and this this uh, growth of the fort plain museum and its importance as an historic site was fostered by people like yourself and uh, Brian Mack and, and Wayne Lenig and, and others who, some of you grew up in the, the Fort Plain area. Well, that's true. I, I you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I joke, I was given tours at the museum when I was uh, 10 years old, uh, you know, because my family was involved with it. And, and I remember Wayne when he was there working on the archaeological work and you know, my older brother, Tom, was involved in doing a lot of the archaeology back then. And of course, they were pretty young guys uh, then. They were still—I think—they were still in high school, and they were working with adults. I think—I think they got uh, drawn into it because they wanted young, strong backs to, to do all the digging. <laughs> but they have all those archaeological notes, which are done very well, uh, are all still there that were done from the 1960s, you know. And, and uh, we continue to build on that work. But our families—you know—my family's always been involved with the museum, and there's some other local families up there. Uh, Wayne's family was very involved with the museum too. His father was, uh, and so uh, so yeah, it's kind of continuing from generation to generation. It seems to me you've gone, or I'd say, leaped over some of the other local historic sites, and there was always a certain level of interest in the American Revolution and colonists and the Native Americans and and so forth, but you've um, made strides there, and I would say have become the place that's the, sort of the go-to place for information on uh, the Revolutionary War and colonial era in the Mohawk Valley. Yeah, well, we had made a strategic uh, decision here when we were talking about how to rework the museum that that we wanted to uh, get our focus back on the Revolutionary War and that colonial time period. But we didn't want to just do the village of Fort Plain. We wanted to do the whole Mohawk Valley so you would understand that Mohawk Valley story. That's what we've gone to. Now, I mentioned Mohawk Country before. That was a program that we started through the Fort Plain Museum, and then we actually spun that off into a separate organization. And the idea there was that we have this wealth of historic sites all within a few miles of each other uh, in Montgomery County. And, uh, And we just wanted to get everybody 
working together and uh, uh, coordinating events and things like that. And, and of course, that organization, we go out and find money so that we can issue grants to help out these organizations, help out with hiring people and getting mm-hmm. work done on the sites and so on. The revolution, uh, the Revolutionary War in the Mohawk Valley is important, but but how so? I mean, it's not something maybe that still that comes to mind. I mean, it's not uh, Bunker Hill. It's uh, not Yorktown. Uh, it's not even uh, the Battle of Saratoga, which is uh, n- nearby, but not exactly in the Mohawk Valley. What was the historic uh, aspects of the revolution in the Mohawk Valley? You know, well, one of the key factors was it was the pathway to the West. Uh, even the Continental Congress knew at that time that they needed to uh, they needed that corridor through the Mohawk Valley to get to the other side of the Appalachian Mountains. You know, they had they had decided that the boundaries were going to be the Mississippi in the West and the St. Lawrence in the North, and really the only way was by water, and the only good water route was up the Hudson, and then uh, and then across New York State and the Mohawk River, and and, uh, and then you could get into the Great Lakes and move into the west from there. So, so the Mohawk Valley was that, it was that key conduit, uh, that corridor that would, it would connect the, uh, the eastern half of the country to the western half of the country. So it was a concern right off, off the rip, and, and uh, the Continental Congress, uh, they did talk about uh, that, they, that they needed to keep that pathway open. It's why they established Fort Stanwix to guard the carry. Uh, location. That's what made the Mohawk Valley important. We actually we were calling it America's first frontier. We, we referred to it uh, in our Mohawk country uh, promotions uh, because at the time in 1776, when the country was created, this was this was the uh, frontier that they really worried about. And so a lot of those battles, things that go on in Saratoga, uh, siege out at Fort Stanwix, is all all about really kind of protecting that that uh, that passage right right to the west and there were major uh, players that were opposing uh, the rebels in the mohawk valley we've got um, many um, nations of the iroquois including maybe chief among them the the mohawks and the former british settlers who had uh, lived there uh, there was a real um, civil war going on i mean I, that, that was probably true a, all around the colonies, but it was especially true in the Mohawk Valley. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Loyalists basically packed up and left uh, after the Declaration of Independence, and, you know, as, as things were getting getting tense, uh, they, they left and went to Canada, where they uh, formed uh, a provincial army under Sir John Johnson, that was Sir William's son, and then they came back, and a lot of the, the raids and battles that you see taking place in upstate New York are really the, those loyalist forces, along with some British uh, uh, forces that, that were coming down and raiding and then fighting battles at Stone Arabia and Clocksfield and, uh, uh, the, you know, or the siege of Fort Stanwix that took place under St. Ledger. The, those were provincial forces that were involved for the most part. The violence of war lasted until the very end in the Mohawk Valley. I mean, the end of the Revolutionary War. I think they were writing the peace treaty, and they were still fighting up here. Yeah, they were, you know, one of the 
misnomers, I think, that gets out there, you know, as everybody says, well, after the Battle of Yorktown in the fall of 1781, well, that, that was it, the war was over. No, the war continued for another year and a half, and uh, especially up here on the frontier, and there were a lot of concerns. In fact, uh, they had spy reports. They were expecting another large-scale invasion like like uh, what they got into at the Battle of Saratoga. But this time they were going to try and come down the Mohawk Valley again. So it's it's one of the reasons that General Washington had ordered that they needed to get busy and rebuild Fort Plain uh, into a, a, you know, a much stronger location as part of the defenses uh, for the valley. So, uh, so those kinds of things are happening late in the war. As you said, this was uh, late in the war, and... What was the goal of the the fighting? Um, and the la- last theory I saw on that or, um, is um, that the Mohawks, the Loyalists, were interested in uh, moving the boundaries of the new country or moving moving in south. Is is that true? Yeah, that that uh, that's true enough. I kind of discussed that in my book a little bit. Uh, there are a couple letters there that I had run across doing research where uh, uh, General Haldeman is writing to the Crown or the Prime Minister and and explaining how Sir John has been very successful with raids in the valley. And and their plan was that they they wanted to drive the patriots out of the valley. They were were looking to drive them uh, over to Vermont, where they thought they would be safer over there and then uh, in hopes that they could retain the lands in the Mohawk Valley for the loyalists. So essentially, as you know, if they, they wanted, they knew at that point, because you, you're getting later in the war and the French are involved, so they knew a settlement was coming. So the concern was, you know, they, they wanted to be able to say, well, let's draw the border on the Mohawk River there so our loyalists can return to their lands. Uh, and... Uh, so they were very shocked when the final treaty came through, and they said the St. Lawrence was going to be it was going to be the northern boundary. Did they keep fighting after that? Uh, well, of course, you know once the uh, once the treaty was signed, uh, the the British would be officially out of it. But they did try to keep it secret for a while uh, from from their Indian allies because they knew they would be upset. And they got busy looking for lands in Canada to resettle everybody uh, uh, north of the St. Lawrence in Canada. Uh, uh, but there were some issues there, you know, just for a few months where where uh, they actually, there was a, uh, a peace envoy that was sent by Washington. He actually was hired here at Fort Plain uh, to go out to Detroit to let the people in Detroit know that they were going to be part of the, uh, of the new American country. And uh, when when uh, the envoy got out uh, to Oswego and started talking to the Indians and explaining to the Indians that the war was over, they quickly arrested him and threw him in jail so he couldn't talk to the Indians anymore. Wow. <laughs> so uh, so there was a big to do about all of that. You know, eventually, uh, eventually, I think he gets uh, uh, he gets released by a couple of. Uh, British soldiers who want to stay in America, so they they break them out of jail and they all come back to Fort Rensselaer. Well, it's one thing uh, for you and I to talk about this and maybe uh, to talk about it at the the conferences that the Fort Plain Museum uh, has organized for a number of years, but I gather that the, the nation is getting ready 
uh, to have some focus placed on the Mohawk Valley by a major uh, documentary film company. Have you heard anything about that? Oh yeah, that's uh, yeah, fourteen films. I guess that's one of the advantages as we as we really uh, work to uh, expand our presence in the marketplace. I guess you would say that uh, Florentine Films did uh, contact us. Uh, I met with a producer, uh, took her around, showed her a lot of sites in the valley, uh, and then uh, they came back with a film crew and. We, we went out like six o'clock in the morning. I had to be out because they they like to do a lot of sunrise and sunset shots. So uh, uh, we were uh, unfortunately, I think the morning we were we were filming that they uh, uh, things had gotten pretty foggy. But uh, but they were taking some uh, uh, nice shots of the Palatine Church. They really liked that. We couldn't do much in Stone Arabia, but uh, but we went and found some other wild areas that they wanted to see. And uh, they were actually kind of excited about the stuff that they, they were looking at and the way things were coming out. So they tell me they're coming back. Uh, you know, there's other information that I probably I probably can't go into, but uh, but uh, they're they're interested in the area. Of course, I have not seen a script, so you, you always kind of wonder. Just and, and they're still three years away from finishing this, so uh, you you know you wonder where you're going to end up in the documentary. But uh, but so far, you know, they're a quality company. They do great documentaries. So. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that we're gonna we're gonna uh, get some good honorable mentions in there. Yes, it's uh, they certainly are uh, well known with all of the productions they've done. Probably starting with Ken Burns in the in the Civil War, and it is encouraging that you know they're they've turned to some extent, or we hope they've turned to covering the Mohawk Valley. Maybe it's because. It's different. It's new. You know, I mean, uh, I was going through a litany of some other famous revolutionary uh, war battles or names, you know, like Bunker Hill, Lexington, Concord, uh, Saratoga, Valley Forge, um, Battle of Yorktown. But this is something different, something that, you know, maybe hasn't been covered before. It is. You know, and I try to, you know, I know that we they're interested in certain themes like the ones you just mentioning, you know, the civil war, the Mohawk Valley. So I've, I've fed them a lot of information on that, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, we'll see how all that plays out. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's different. It's something that kind of got lost in history. So I would think it would be of, of great interest to, to, uh, for their documentary, for their viewers, uh, to, to work these kinds of stories in there. But it's, it's a, it's a six-part uh, series, two hours each, so that's 12 hours of screen time, and they got a they got a, uh, a lot of time to fill there. So hopefully we'll we'll uh, we'll get some good mentions in there. We're talking with uh, Norm Bolin of the Fort Plain Museum, uh, which is about to uh, begin a big uh, construction project to um, make the museum more uh, user-friendly and uh, and a more important part of uh, the historical record uh, in uh, the eastern United States. Another issue that I know you've been involved in, I, I say it's an issue, I mean, it's not like people are, I don't know, I was going to say it's not like people are marching on Albany about this, but uh, there's some um, concern that one aspect of the Revolutionary War that hasn't been covered very well is 
the story of the loyalists. And a lot of the, the or a bunch of the loyalists, let's say, or a good percentage, uh, have come to your conferences over the years. I mean, those folks up there in Canada descended uh, from the, the British settlers in the Mohawk Valley. They're serious people. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. And we... We uh, we kind of lost some of that group during the COVID uh, business, and they're starting to come back now. We're hoping we'll get more of the, the Canadian groups back again. Uh, we have done, I believe we've done some presentations on loyalist families. That always comes up that maybe to try and do more of that. So the trick is to find the authors that are doing that sort of thing. Uh, they could present at the conference, but yes, I, you know, there's a there's a sincere group, the United Empire Loyalists. So. Uh, uh, and we're, we'd love to have them come down to see us. And another um, aspect of interest in this region, you know, maybe goes away from the American uh, Revolution, although not in the current um, in the example I'm going to give. Uh, Kelly Farquhar over to the Montgomery County Department of History and Archives uh, and the Johnstown Public Library recently entertained. Uh, a film crew from Who Do You Think You Are, which is a, one of those uh, television shows, national shows on NBC about um, genealogy. And uh, when you say genealogy, you say Fonda, because uh, Fonda, New York, where uh, the Montgomery County has its history and archives, uh, has a great uh, collection of information uh, about uh, the the ancestors of many people, not just in the Fonda area, but throughout uh, upstate New York. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that program, we, you know, we kind of laugh about that a little bit because, of course, the program, for the sake of uh, how to uh, do a good presentation for their viewers, they've, they've got these people following to different archives and and uh, and and gleaning bits of information here uh, here and there to piece together a story, but you know the reality is all of that they could get at Montgomery County History and Archives. <laughs> you know, uh, right. all that material is there on site. They have a really you know we're fortunate in Montgomery County to get a really good collection of of genealogical information. Boy, they get a lot of people coming in there to do research. Uh, genealogy is a big thing. And as you referenced in the terms of the. Fort Plain Museum conferences, the COVID uh, epidemic or pandemic, you know, did you know, kind of cut down the numbers, but I gather that more people are starting to come out of the woodwork, if you will, to come back uh, to Fonda to look up their ancestors. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think th- I think they're doing very well there. Our conference numbers have, uh, were down a little bit from what they from the high before the COVID, but they, but they're starting to bounce back too. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the interest continues to grow on all of that. You know, we get genealogy phone calls at, at our museum. Uh, we get genealogy phone calls almost every day, uh, which we're not really equipped to do a lot. We can give some information, but to take the time to do individual research is difficult for us because we just don't have the staff for that. So I usually refer them to, uh, to Kelly's uh, um, uh, place uh, in Fonda. One um, uh, historic site that I know you've been uh, quoted on, and this maybe goes back to the uh, conversation we were just having about uh, the loyalist point of view in the American Revolution. Um, the city of Amsterdam uh, has um, 
an historic building called Guy Park Manor, but I don't know, the state something owns it. I uh, I forget now, it used to be the Canal Corporation, but I think now it's a different state agency. But uh, that, that hasn't been uh, restored to being tourist ready or histor- history buff ready uh, since uh, floods in the early uh, 20-teens. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's a sad situation there. Uh, we tried to make some headway on that. I had some meetings with Paul Tonko. That that didn't really seem to go anywhere. Uh, we've, uh, uh, we, we've asked people in the past uh, at the Canal Corporation, uh, and the last time I talked with anybody, which has been a while now, you know, they wanted to get all the work on the locks finished first, uh, which, which as far as I could tell, they're done with the, the lock work. So uh, they did have, you know, they had money coming to them from FEMA. Uh, as I recall, it was almost a million dollars or so coming from FEMA uh, to work on the building. Uh, but I haven't heard anything, and it's probably something we should probably uh, uh, start bringing up again. Uh, to see if we could uh, push something to happen with that. But it's kind of a shame. That's really, I think that's the oldest building in Amsterdam. Uh, and there was some great history that took place there during the Revolution. Uh, so I, I, I think really that uh, that's that's a building definitely that should be saved. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Norm Boland uh, is uh, with us from the Fort Plain Museum. Uh, so uh, soon the fundraising will start seriously uh, for the expansion of the museum. Uh, maybe you went through this earlier in the interview, but it, what is your timetable on that? Or I, I suppose you don't know until you start. Yeah, it's hard to say. Of course, we were dividing it into two phases, and I started to tell you a little bit about the hilltop there earlier, uh, which that was uh, actually about $2.4 million. I think we, we put for a price tag on the work on the hilltop because it was going to include rebuilding the blockhouse as an interpretive center uh, for, the, uh, for what the earthworks had looked like and some restoration of the earth, earthworks themselves, uh, which were trench works that were dug during the Revolution. They're, they're still up there. And then we were going to put in picnic pavilions and walking trails. And then uh, part two, phase two, we were going to add 10,000 square feet to the to the museum. Uh, so we'd have a lot of new exhibit space for Mohawk Valley museums, uh, uh, Mohawk Valley exhibits. And uh, also uh, we have big Native American collections, both Mohawk and Oneida Indian collections. So we're planning on doing uh, a lot with that. And uh, the other thing that we figured we should address is because our conferences are so popular, we're going to take a section of that and, and turn it into our own conference center uh, on site there. So, uh, you know, we'll still, the, the college has been great to us, Fulton Montgomery Community College, and I'm sure we'll still continue to do some things there too. But, but we'd like to be able to do some of uh, uh, these conferences right at the museum so we can bring people to the site so they, they can see it. So, so that's going to be uh, figured into the plan on that. Uh, as far as timeline goes, we're looking at, the, you know, the big uh, uh, anniversary date, the semi-sesquicentennial, which is 2026. Uh, so we're not really sure we could cover all this ground in four years' time. Uh, that would that might be difficult. We do have some big grant applications in already, so we're gonna we're gonna push along and keep that target date in mind. That the, that's when there probably be the most interest uh, by by that year, and uh, and then and then play play it by ear. 
And you do, again, have that uh, location factor for the Fort Play Museum and other sites in the Mohawk Valley because the throughway goes right through there. It does. Uh, you know, and they, even since I was a little kid, they used to talk about rebuilding the blockhouse, how, how visible that would be from the New York State Thruway. And, uh, uh, and, you, and you're right, you can see the site very clearly, the letters on the front of the hill of the, our three flagpoles up there. And uh, so I, I think as we do the work on the hilltop, that'll definitely uh, attract a lot of attention. We, you know, I always say at least a third to a half of our business is drive-by uh, and because uh, we could tell by talking with people, and and when you get you know when we see the gas prices go ridiculously high, uh, we see that traffic fall off, and then it started bouncing back as we've got into the latter part of summer, and people were adjusting, and 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 the prices started to moderate a little bit, but but uh, but drive by is uh, is a big part of it, and we've got a good location where people could see us. We're really only three miles off of the New York State Thruway at Kanjahari. Well, Norm Bolin, I thank you very much for joining us, talking about the Fort Plain Museum and your future plans. Well, it's exciting, exciting time, and uh, and we're glad uh, that uh, you could be a part of it with us. Norm Bolin uh, with the Fort Plain Museum. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. <laughs>